Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4. The last two lessons, we've been talking about love. If you remember two lessons ago, we actually got distracted and went over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and actually went through the description of love. And then last week's lesson was about loving each other, loving the brothers. And we're actually going to continue that lesson, except there's a small digression If you remember the last verse of last week's lesson, the last verse of chapter 3 says, Uh, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And if you notice in your ESV or modern translation, uh, spirit is capitalized. The translators of the book do that to help us get some idea that we are talking in that verse about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit living in us is what allows us to love the brothers and sisters. The problem is there are other spirits, lowercase s. So John is talking about love He's going to talk about love, but in between, he's going to talk about how do we know that the spirit we're listening to is the right spirit? And that's the beginning of chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now, let's just stop right there. When it says spirit, is it talking about an actual spirit talking to me? Or is he talking about other people who are communicating to us and they are being directed by a false spirit? And as the answer to a lot of my questions, the answer is yes. It can be either one. The reality that we need to understand is that there are false spirits out there. And when we're dealing with other people, it is quite possible that this person is going to come to me and say, God told me to do fill in the blank. And I have to go, I can't imagine God telling you to do that. And John is going to tell the readers of the book, how do we deal with these false spirits? And the first thing he says is, Don't believe them, okay? When I stand up here and talk to you, you don't have to believe everything that I say. In fact, you ought to go out and test to make sure that I am not, well, leading you astray. So, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, John is obviously writing this in the, what, first century of the church, and there were false teachers. Do we have any reason to believe that there's not false teachers today? We could argue that with the modern media that we have, it's even easier to be a false teacher than it once was. So we are to test the Spirit, to find out if, in fact, they are from God. 
And the question you have, obviously, is how do we do that test? What piece of test equipment, what chemical analysis, what can I do to test whether or not someone, a spirit, or a person being driven by a spirit is, in fact, from God? How do I do that? And that's what he's going to tell us. By this you know the Spirit of God. You ready for this? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That sounds almost too simple. But it's not. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus is from God and came in the flesh is from God. Now, let me let you in on a little secret. We have gone from love your brothers, and we are going to love your brothers, and in the middle, he's throwing in this theology lesson. What it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means that you acknowledge that Jesus came from God in human form to the earth to accomplish something. We'll talk about that something. Sometimes we get the idea that there's love, wonderful, sweet love, and there's doctrine, wicked, divisive, let's not talk about it, and we want to keep these two things separate because we think they're going to interfere with each other. I can love you, or I can make sure your doctrine is right, and I can beat you to a pulp with my doctrine. And John is telling them, no, there is no separation between these two. Now, you might also notice that, though, that he doesn't ask you whether you agree with the doctrinal statement of Christ Chapel Bible Church. I agree with the doctrinal statement of Christ, Bible, of Christ Chapel Bible Church. I do. But he didn't say that here. What he wants to know, if you are being led by a false spirit, is do you acknowledge Jesus is from God and he came in human form? Why did he pick that. Well, obviously the Spirit told him, but why did the Spirit tell him? Well, we know that one of the early heresies of the church was Gnosticism. We've had a long discussion in here about Gnosticism. It was alive and well then, and it's alive and well today in the world. We just don't use the word. And by the way, if you want to spell Gnosticism, it starts with a G. Go figure. Um, Gnosticism has this idea that there is some secret knowledge that you have to have. So I'm going to let you in on a secret, and I'm not going to tell them, and you and I are in the inner circle. And part of that knowledge that's in the inner circle is that the material world is evil. Okay? You, you believe that, right? Remember a couple of chapters ago, don't love the world or anything in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, all that evil 
wicked world. Therefore, Jesus, being God, would never have taken on human form. Why? Because matter is evil. So Jesus appeared to be a human being, but he wasn't really a human being. He was the image of God visible to us. I've told you the illustration before, you know. Jesus is walking down the beach of the Sea of Galilee, and you look behind him, and there's no footprints. Why? Because he's not a real physical human being. That's Gnosticism. It is a denial of the humanity of Christ. The flip side of it is probably even more popular today. We're going to accept the humanity of Christ, but we're not going to accept the deity of Christ. Christ was a great teacher. He has a great moral philosophy. You know, love your neighbor, love each other, love the brothers, great, wonderful stuff. Let's believe that, but we don't have to believe that he came from God. I mean, why would we do that? What John is telling us is that those who are being led by a true spirit will accept the reality of both of these. That Jesus is God and that he is a human being. We see this in the creeds of the early church because they fought over this. He is totally God, totally God, and totally man. Now, how does that work? I'm not sure. He's the only one we've ever had. Why is it important why is it important that he was a human being? Why not just believe he was God in some form that looked human but wasn't really human? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us that he was just like us so that he could be tempted just like us so that he could relate to our suffering and show us how we, as human beings, could live our lives. I mean, let's face it. If he didn't really have any flesh, he was just God, what would he know about being hungry, about being tired, about being human? But the fact that he was human means that we have a great high priest, this is the book of Hebrews, who can relate to our suffering. Well, what does it mean? What does it matter that he's God? Why is that important? Why can't he just be Confucius or Plato or some other great wise person who lived in history? The problem is, is all those people, and you know what? I've read those people. They have something useful to say. But every one of them died and was buried, and that's the end of them. What you and I needed is not just a great high priest. We needed a sacrifice who was without sin. 
He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And that sacrifice provided you and me with salvation. So when John tells them, anyone who confesses that Jesus was from God in human form, they're coming from the right spirit. It isn't just a matter of, yeah, I'm going to mouth the words that say Jesus is from, okay. They are confessing it with their words. They're confessing it with their life. They're confessing it with their teaching. Because this understanding of who Jesus is permeates everything that you and I are to learn about what it means to be a Christian. It's not just a matter of saying the words. I am reminded I had a co-worker years ago from Lebanon, and he was a Christian, but he comments that as a Young man, he learned to say in Arabic, there is one God and Muhammad is his prophet. Because if you got stopped by a checkpoint, you had to say the words. Now, you and I can argue about the ethical understanding of whether you should do that or not. Okay, but we won't go there. But it was just words. It isn't just words that John is talking about. It is confessing it with your life. Now, let's keep going. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And conversely, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Okay, number one, if I ever stand up and start saying you can be a good whatever, apart from God and an understanding of Jesus, call the elders and have them come talk to me, okay? Because what I'm teaching is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, we had a discussion about this two chapters ago. Because he talked about the Antichrist. And just to help us, this is Antichrist with a little A, because he's not talking about a specific Antichrist that shows up in all of our discussions about the second coming. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, and he talks about these people who have rejected Jesus. In fact, it is quite likely that the church that John is writing to has actually suffered a division of some sort. Because if you remember two chapters ago, it says some people left us and it was over this discussion. So some people have left and those people were referred to as little a antichrist because they are against Christ. They are against an understanding of who Christ really is. They either wanted him to be a God, no human, or they wanted to be him to be a human, no God. And they have left. They are not, they, excuse me, they are from the world. 
Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We had a long discussion about the world. If you remember that discussion, I just quoted some of it earlier, the verse that appears two chapters ago, don't love the world or anything in the world because lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life is the world's way of looking at things. And we had a discussion at the time, and it's important to remember. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. And we are commanded not to love the world. Well, is that confusing or what? Well, the difference is, is that there are people in the world, and God loved the people in the world so much that he sent his son to die for their sins. But the world also has a way of thinking, a way of doing things, a way of living life. And the world's way is not God's way. What God is trying to do is save the people of the world from the way the world does things. So when John talks about don't be part of the world, he's talking about the world's system of thought and action. So these false teachers are from the world. They think like the world, they act like the world. And in doing so, they speak to the world and the world likes what they hear. Guess what? You can drum up a crowd. Do you remember John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1? The light came in the world and the world hated him because the world loves the darkness. Why is John talking about this here? Because he wants them to be aware. There's those, there are those outside the church who are attempting to lead the church astray. Does this surprise us? John is warning them, do not be led astray. But you know what? Some people are going to listen to them. Why? Because they're from the world, they speak like the world, and the world likes them. Do you remember what the scripture says? That at the end days, there will be those who tickle our ears. They'll say things that we want to hear. I always think back to the prophets. And you know, you have good prophets, and you had a mob of other prophets. And the prophets would go to the king and say, yeah, things are going to be great. And the true prophet comes to the king and says, you're not going to like what I tell you. So they throw the true prophet into the hole in the ground. They stone the true prophets and the other prophets are having dinner with the king. Why? They're from the world. They speak like the world and the world listens to them. We could have a long discussion about all of that, but we won't. We, on the other hand, 
We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, that verse begins with the word we. If you remember, a couple of chapters ago, we actually had a discussion about who the we was in that particular verse. It was the one I quoted earlier. Some of us have left because, well, they're the Antichrist. So who is the we here? Two possible answers. One answer is us, all of us, all of we. And I like that answer. I like generally to use the broader answer. The other answer, though, is probably truer in this case. The probable answer when John says we, he is talking about the apostles. The apostolic authority that was given to the apostles, which we have in that book that is sitting in your lap. Why do I think that? Well, because I am not going to stand up here and say, all of my words are from God. If I do say that, uh, pick up some rocks or something and start throwing them in my general direction. The church is built on the blood of Christ and our understanding of Christian things through the teachings of the apostles. We have Matthew, the apostle, who wrote the book of Matthew. We have Mark, who was a co-worker with Peter and took Peter's authority and, worked, and wrote the book of Mark, which we finished sometime earlier in the year. We had Matthew, Mark, Luke, who was a historian, who traveled with Paul, who was an apostle, and then we have John who is writing this book. And John is saying, you need to pay attention to the apostles' teaching. Let's read that again. We are from God. We, the apostles, have been given insight by God to teach and write down what you have sitting in front of you. Now, let me let you in on a little secret. When somebody comes and says, God has given me a vision, a revelation. You know what? God may have done that. He may have done that. How do we test that thing, though, that they're saying God told them? You pull out your Bible and you go, hmm, let me see. God told me I ought to assassinate the pastor of our church. No, God did not tell you to do that. Lock him up. God told me that I am the new Christ. No, he didn't tell you that. It's a false spirit. We have the apostolic teaching that we can take the messages that people say God give them and we can test them. We can test the spirits. 
Now, if God says, go start a new church, guess what? You can read your Bible, and you know what? That's the kind of thing God tells people to do. It is. And we go, good job. Go do it. If God tells you to get married, you know what? The Bible says getting married is a good thing to do. Now, we can argue about the person, but we won't go there. (laughs) Do you see how this works? You wake up one morning and say, think, God told me this because you had a bizarre dream. I have bizarre dreams. Just this week, I had this dream. I was in a play. It was opening night. I'm on stage, and I'm sitting there going, I don't know a single line for this play. Surely I have lines. It was a dream. It isn't a message from God. But God can speak to us. God does speak to us. But we test it against the authority of the Scripture. And guess what? I'm not the authority. I am taking the apostolic teaching and trying to help us collectively understand what that means. So, John can say, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, we know the spirit of truth is the Holy Spirit. While no names are mentioned, we can say the spirit of error is Satan himself. So if there is truth, it is coming from the Holy Spirit. But there is also error. There is error out there. There is probably, probably, definitely, a lot more false teaching than there is good teaching. Why? Because there's so many more, there's so many more ways to get things wrong. Okay? There's usually a way to do something right, and there's a hundred ways to do something wrong. Try watching me work on my car or something, right? There's lots of ways to do things wrong, but there's usually only one way. So we need to be aware. We need to be aware that there are wrong ways and there are right ways. One is being directed by the Spirit of God, and one is directed by the spirit of this world. (sighs) By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, I wasn't going to make it through the rest of this chapter, but we're not going to do that. But we are going to continue because I want to get back to where John was. Remember? Chapter 3, love. Let's get sidetracked for a moment and talk about false spirits. But let's get back to love. Beloved, let us love one another. Now, let us love seems rather passive English. In reality, this is a command. 
He is looking you in the eye and commanding you with his apostolic authority to love one another. Remember, this is where we left off. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. What does it mean that God is love? Well, let's remind ourselves of what it's not saying. It does not say love is God. Okay? It doesn't say that if I have love for something, it must be from God because love is God. No, it is saying God is love. It is also not saying that the only thing you need to know about God is God is love. Love is central to the character of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But it's not the only characteristic of God. Otherwise, we wouldn't have just finished whatever it is, five or six verses, talking about the importance of knowing the truth. God is also righteous. God is also holy. God is also omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. You know the list, right? You can go through the scripture and find the different characteristics of God. Now, the thing we sometimes get confused is we begin to think that I can pull those characteristics apart and go, I like the God who is love. You like the God of wrath. I mean, I had a friend who very clearly said, I like the Old Testament God more than I like the New Testament God. He liked the wrath part the fact that God is going to zap everybody that disagrees with me. But guess what? You can't do that. There is no such thing as an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. In fact, if you really want to start looking at it, you can go to the Old Testament and find the God of mercy and love, and you can go to the New Testament and find the God who's going to punish those who reject him. There is no such thing as an Old and a New Testament God. There's just God. And God is love. And the God who is love commands you to love one another. It is interesting, the wording of this passage, and it bothers me at times. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. How do you know? We talked about this, right? How do you know that I am a Christian? Because of love. Well, Kyle, don't non-Christians love their children and their spouses? Don't they have love? And the answer is yes. Okay? We need to make sure we understand that I believe God being love, us being created in the image of God, share as part of God's common grace to humanity the ability, the desire for love. 
We do. But we, as part of fallen humanity, take that desire for love and we oftentimes aim it at the wrong target. And in the scripture, this is called idolatry. When I begin to love that which is not God, it is idolatry. So, do unbelievers love their children? Yes. Do sometimes believers not do a very good job of loving? We're still fallen human beings. Back to chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we're lying. But right now, and for the last chapter, when he's talking about love, he's also talking about a very specific thing. Remember, I said this last week. We're not talking about loving your spouse. We're not even talking about loving your enemies, although we're commanded to do that. We're talking about loving those who have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, loving the brothers and sisters. And guess what? The unbeliever has no idea what that means. Why would I love someone just because they have made a confession of faith for God? Because at that point, they are my brother and sister. And John is telling them, this is how you know. This is how the world knows. And this is how you know that the world doesn't know Christ. And that is love for the brothers. As we demonstrate love for fellow believers, we are confounding the world. I mean, we can all agree you ought to love your spouse, even though some of us fail at it miserably. We all can agree that we all ought to love our children, even though some of us fail at it miserably. We can argue all day about whether you ought to love your enemies. Okay, we'll leave that aside. But loving the person in the pew next to you only because they have confessed a relationship with Jesus Christ? The world doesn't understand that. How do you know that you know a spirit or a person being led by a spirit? We have the doctrinal test and we have the love test. God is love, and you and I are commanded, commanded to do the same. You are a child of God. You are a descendant of God. That's what rebirth means. And therefore, you are to be an imitator of your father. But wait a minute. Do you know how lousy that person is that's sitting at the end of the pew? No, yeah, probably. We talked about this. This is the lessons for the last two weeks. God 
is love. And we are to demonstrate love. We will pick that up next week. Let's pray. Dearly Father, thank you that Jesus Christ did come from God in the flesh to show us how to live our lives, but also to provide the perfect sacrifice. I pray, Lord, that we too would show love for each other. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.